Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The main team. Mega Bears fan. Welcome to Polycast, episode 379. I'm Makalua, who has internet and power and all those things and no snow. Go away, snow. Stay away, snow. No more snow. Uh, also with me is Candace Albinus. We had a lot of snow too, but it left also. And Mega Bears fan. What is this snow of which you speak? It's this weird thing where the water falls from the sky, but okay, get this. It's frozen. No way. Magic. I think I it's think re- the the storm that hit Texas also hit us with twelve inches of snow. So but unlike Texas, you have everything properly winterized. Yay. Oh. We at least handle it. But 12 inches is still a lot of snow for where I live. We kind of shut down for a while, too. So it's February, well it was February last week, and as has become the usual norm, we got a balanced patch slash new feature at Pat. Got some pretty interesting stuff. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but it looks very interesting just based on what I've seen from other people. We get the Barbarian Clan mode, we get some unit commands, we get some player commands. Get some general updates for various things, national wonder updates, government updates, policy updates, building updates, red death updates, Ethiopia updates, Gaul and Byzantium updates, pirates updates, and lots of other things. I know they I know they tried out barbarian clans on the uh polycraft game last weekend, although I wasn't there, but uh, but there and other places I've seen that people think it's an interesting addition, you know, they, they like that because they turn into city states later and things. So you can actually get good relations with those clans. So then you like, I don't think it auto suzerains you when they turn over, but you start out with a, a good relation with them and it, you're not having to just post guys out there all the time going, Ew, barbarians, like we normally do have to fog bust and everything. Yeah, I did yeah. get a, a chance to play a little bit with this as well for like uh, an hour or so, just through an ancient era uh, bit of the game. And it uh, it was interesting, and it definitely changed uh, my approach to the game a little bit. Enough so that I actually feel like I want to restart the game on like a new map so that I can take what little I learned and actually apply it towards that game. Because how you treat these barbarians now is actually quite dramatically different. At least it was... Uh, in my experience. So we get several different clans that each have their own special preferences. Flatland clan likes flatlands and balance. Woodland clan likes woods and rainforests and liked ranged units. The hills clan likes melee units and doesn't use ranged at all. The rover clan uses mounted units but requires horse nearby. And the chariot clan requires light ver- light cavalry and doesn't use ranged units at all jungle clan needs ivory and likes rainforests mixture of light and heavily surrounded by foot range so they like everything i guess and then seafaring which likes exclusive melee that sounds interesting especially if you look what you can do with the clans down there because you can you can hire something from them or uh, ransom a unit back, like if they capture a settler, you could get it back now. You can also bribe them to just go away for a while. <laughs> could you go away for like X number of turns? But also, of, you can incite them. Of note, you know, you though, see a barbarian you... camp that's on the other side, and you can go, Hey, could you attack those guys for me? Thanks. Worth noting, though, when you do bribe them to leave you alone, it actually only stops them from attacking your cities, it does not stop them from attacking your units. Uh, so one of the things that I was talking about that I learned that I might want to go back and restart the game because of was uh, I did bribe them 
to stop attacking me. And what they did is they just camped their three units right outside my borders and then killed my unit as I <laughs> left my borders. So, uh, yeah, be a little bit careful uh, using that bribe command because all it does is it makes them back off your city. It does not, in fact, make them stop harassing you entirely. And it actually says so right in the description. So I think that is intended behavior. Yeah. It's not a bug. But it does buy you a, a little bit of breathing room time to maybe get some units. So if they try to come in again, maybe this time it can repel them. Yeah, and I think they don't go into your borders. If you do that, they'll just camp outside of it. So it also means that your like builders are okay to improve uh, your own tiles. I don't think they'll like come in and kill your builder if you leave it unescorted, as long as it's in your uh, territory. But I could be completely wrong about that. So uh, listeners, please don't take that as a strategy tip. Uh, I only played this mode for like an hour, so I'm still kind of uh, uh, in the dark about all the ways that it works. So We can send units to barbarian outposts, and they don't get automatically destroyed. Instead, we can either disperse the clan, which gives experience points, or raid the clan, which gives gold and takes away their reduction, their progress towards the city state. And this and is actually an interesting decision too, because uh, one of the things that I noticed is that they don't seem to uh, camp units in their outpost as much as they used to. Sometimes they do; they will still leave a spearman there. But I saw like two or three of the camps in that game where there was no unit in their defending, so I, you could just walk in with your scout and disperse it or get some free experience. I guess it depends on what your priorities are, what you want to do there. Yeah, it's real tempting to try to just take that experience with the scout, especially if you have the survey policy active, and see if you can get up to that ambush promotion. Plus 20 strength in all situations actually turns your scout into a viable unit. I think in the polycast game, par turncast game, the conclusion was that uh, the only reason to let them become a city-state was if you wanted whatever the city-state would give you uh, in terms of um, yields. But if you wanted to take the city, it was easier just to get rid of it and build a settler instead because it took so long for them to become city-states. Yeah, I, I guess it kind of depends on like how much they do and how they're treated by the other civs. But it it did like again. I played through the entire ancient era of a game, and uh, none of them were even close to becoming city states yet. So we're talking about it taking at least a couple of eras in the game. I think they were getting to be city states in that in that turncast game by um, medieval Renaissance times. Yeah, that sounds like that makes sense. Uh, also, I didn't notice anything in the UI that tells you what city-state a particular barbarian clan might turn into. So that's also something to keep in mind, is you don't know what suzerain bonuses you might potentially get. They might end up turning into a city-state that is completely not useful to you at all. Yeah. Unless it's hidden somewhere and I just didn't see it. I don't think it shows anything. We have a topic about UI stuff a little bit later. Yeah. And speaking of later topics, we have a leader selection pool that was added in this patch. We're also going to talk about that in a later topic. Yeah, I saw um, that and I was like, ooh, finally? Yeah. I was and a little then, bit bummed. Well, I guess I'll get to it in the UI section. Never mind. Yeah. And now for the balance and polish section of the patch notes. Uh, Fixed some issues where um, specific unique units don't require strategic resources to train, and where special buildings didn't affect, or special barrack buildings didn't properly affect Lahore's Niang unit, specifically with Georgia, I believe that is. Mm hmm. In Earth, the Earth Goddess Pantheon now gives an extra faith on breathtaking tiles. And then fixed coastal raid, coastal raid unit action, and fixed an issue where games with twenty civs and twenty four city states would start without a free cities pay player, which meant that you couldn't have loyalty rebellions. 
<laughs> That's an interesting bug. The National Wonders were updated. The Cliffs of Dover now gives three gold, three culture, and two food. Apparently that makes them slightly less bad. Well, they used to not have any food at all, which meant that uh, working them meant your city didn't grow. So now they at least feed themselves. Yeah, that sounds good. Crater Lake now gives five faith instead of four. Lysa Ford gives Lysa Fjord gives plus one production to adjacent tiles. Giants Causeway gives culture to adjacent tiles. The campus now receives major adjacency from Great Barrier Reef. Mm-hmm. That one was pretty silly that it didn't. Yeah. And uh Paititi no longer gives a major adjacency bonus to the Theater Square and Commercial Hub. Well, good thing I finished the game I was playing before this patch went live, because uh, I had a whole city that was built around the Theater Square and Commercial Hub being adjacent to that wonder. Some of the uh, governments have been changed. I don't remember what the cards used to be, but it looks like Autocracy and Oligarchy have their card select card slots reversed so oligarchy now has two military and no diplomatic instead of autocracy which now has the one 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 configuration yeah, I think monarchy that was what we suspected they would do when we were talking about this a couple weeks ago yeah monarchy now gives two military instead of three and two wild card instead of one Merchant Republic uh, looks like it now gives two economic instead of three. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <clears throat> they just pulled one of the economic slots down to diplomacy. That's what it looks like. Or is it and military? Did a military, Republic that's it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, Merchant Republic didn't have a military, yeah. did it? Well, you can tell it's been a few weeks since I played too. <laughs> yeah. And now monarchy gives plus two diplo favor for each Renaissance walls in your empire. And for the policies, they changed craftsmen to from economic to military, so it is a military card now. Wow. And the colonial offices and colonial taxes policies have been moved from economic to diplomatic. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I can see those. Not so sure about the craftsman one though. So that's just. To make sure I understand this clearly, the craftsman policy was the one that gives a 100% adjacency bonus to industrial zones, right? I don't know. I wish I did. I do not know. Well of Souls, which is a really great site everybody should know about. Oh, this isn't going to help me, is it? Yeah, I just looked it up in the wiki. Plus uh, 100% industrial zone adjacency bonus. That's interesting. I did not... It seems like it would be an economic policy to me, but then again, you never know. I mean, it's it's probably something where they're just trying to get players to use the governments that have military slots more often. Maybe they just weren't getting used enough. In the mid-game and late-game, they're used pretty frequently. Um, Unless you have a lot of wildcard slots. I'm sure if, if Phil were here, he would probably say, oh no, always use the military governments. <laughs> but, Phil uh, is, uh, is the fascism government all the way. Why build wonders when you can build six axemen? Yeah. Then take the wonders. Mm-hmm. Some buildings were updated, mostly uh, in relating to amenities. The arena and the ch- uh, tlachi now give two amenities. The Ferris wheel now gives two amenities. The audience chamber now gives two amenities and four housing. So as the opposed audience to, chamber no longer requires the governors in the city? Because didn't it used to be like it needed a governor and then you got like negative amenity and housing if you didn't have a governor? That was something I didn't know about, but if that's true, that's pretty good. And then they added the water park to the Toronto slash Mexico City um, city-state that increases the range from 6 to 10 cities, or 6 to 10 tiles from the city. 
Yeah, according to the wiki, the old effect of the audience chamber was plus two amenities and plus four housing in cities with governors, and then minus two loyalty in cities without governors. Which made it a very difficult building to construct, because at that point in the game, you have one, maybe two governors, and, you know, probably a few more cities. Yeah, you definitely have more cities than governors. Usually, I mean, for the whole game, because you want to have powerful governors, not a bunch of governors. And even so, you would only have like, what is it, seven governors total? You're going to have more than seven cities. So you didn't really want to build that because you didn't want to take that loyalty hit. Yeah, I think I maybe built an audience chamber like once just to verify that it was, in fact, garbage. Uh, And maybe (laughs) now it will not be garbage and will actually be worth uh, building. I I do have to, I would want to double check if that bonus is applied to all cities now or if if it still has the governor restriction and they just remove the loyalty but uh, this description makes it sound like it's just all cities plus two amenity plus four housing which is actually quite good that's a free arena in like every city yeah that's pretty good especially with the new amenity system that is a little more punitive Removed non-functional map options like resources, start positions, and temperature from the game setup in Red Death mode. Fixed an issue where great work slots would disappear from a bank if it was replaced with a gilded vault for secret societies. Fixed an issue where the culture industry golden policy for dramatic ages would specify it would provide 25% production to specialty districts when it should only apply to non-specialty districts and it looks like they fixed the sp- spam tavern visits in the same turn in pirate scenario <laughs> I believe that was a spiffing Brit exploit uh-huh. video right yes <laughs> Fixed an issue where the city banner tooltips would display incorrect text when viewing the Sac City and Visit Tavern tooltips. It looks like uh, they changed the Maui's Inventions hero ability to only spawn a random research resource that already exists in the world to prevent players from being granted a monopoly on a single resource. Yeah, Which, that wasn't a problem until the monopolies. Yeah. Fixed an issue causing redundant failure messages for corporation creation. Fixed an issue causing Kublaka's agenda to not count negative modifiers toward military power. And fixed a crash that would occur when a player tried to steal a corporation from another player. I don't know how that would be relevant. How would you steal a corporation from another player? By taking the city? Uh, that's what I was going to say. It would probably be if you took over that city, then the corporation would become yours because it's <clears throat> there. It's not, it, I guess it's, consi- I don't know that there's a building that you see that it's there, but it's considered to be there. It's not an abstract thing like a religion. I think it's, yeah, it's a tile improvement, isn't it? That you build on a luxury. Well, there's the workshop or whatever, or warehouse type things that you build on them. We get some multiplayer updates. And they're really underwhelming. <laughs> no stop and no one stop asking responses are disabled for human opponents opponents in multiplayer. Ah, and improved matchmaking. I guess they assume like you have a chat feature, so you can just tell the other player via chat to leave you alone. I'm curious about improved matchmaking. I did not know that Civilization Six had an automatic match. Yeah, you can join random games. I've never done it, but it's an option. I didn't know that Civ kept track of who was a good player and who wasn't. But maybe it didn't. Maybe now it does. <laughs> maybe that's the improvement. I don't know. It'd be nice if they were a little more specific. I'm not yeah, aware of any kind of ladder system or anything like that being in the game, but I don't play much multiplayer. We don't. I don't play uh, in the public lobbies because they tend to not be very good. But I don't know. For the AI, AI has bigger bias toward building air units. AI will use better formations for air units. AI will have more aircraft ready. AI will more efficiently use anti-air. AI will place larger value on trades that include strategic resources for air units. AI is more likely to make a deal for strategic air units or resources related to air units. 
the AI has a strengthened bias against building too many spaceports. The AI will be more likely to engage in the culture race. The AI will not build units that require ongoing and require an ongoing resource they don't have. Fix an a, a an issue where the AI would offer more gold per turn than intended for low value item. I'm curious if that second to last item in which they do not build units that require resources they don't have uh, also includes them being a little bit more active in trying to secure resources that they want for building units that consume those resources. Like, you know, settling a new city or capturing a city that has oil or whatever. Yeah. Because I've noticed that one of the big problems with the AI in the game is that they tend to just turtle, like, throughout the entire second half of the game. They uh, they build all their units early in the game, and then they do all of their colonizing by, like, the medieval or renaissance era, and then they just sit back and turtle. And if they've lost all their units, they don't build anymore. Yeah, that is an issue. I don't like that they don't build units. In the UI, fixed an issue where a civilization's data would be erased from the CO2 level's global contribution graph after they were removed from the game. So apparently if we destroy uh, a civilization, all their pollution disappears. Well, it, it says that they were just being removed from the graph, so I'm assuming the pollution was still in the game, but it just wasn't being like presented to the player, so it was harder to track where pollution was coming from. Fix an issue where sleep icons were missing from the unit list in World Tracker and various text updates. And then there's a bunch of stuff for consoles, but I don't play any of the console versions, so I don't know what any, how important any of these are. It looks like it's a lot of UI and interface stuff. Yeah, which is probably a good thing. I'm fixing a couple of crashes from, that could occur after desync and multiplayer and going through gameplay. So, fix two big crashes, fix a bunch of miscellaneous little things with the UI. That's what it looks like for the most part. I am excited to see what the AIs will actually start doing with their air units. Because uh, that at least means they will be building some units late in the game, even if they are just air units. So there will be some resistance to my late game invasions. They might actually build things to uh, go against bombers for once. Yeah, I I thought I remembered in the previews for this patch uh, them saying that they were also going to increase the uh, AI's flavor towards building anti-air support units. Uh, Oh, I guess that is in this list. AI will more efficiently use anti-air against aircraft. So it doesn't specifically say that they'll build more of them, but I'm assuming that's included in efficient use, is you got to build the dang things. Yeah, since there's so many things to encourage them to build more air units. Yeah, so they're not only going to be defending against the human players' air units, but potentially also against the other AI civs' air units now. Alright, anything else interesting or worth talking about from this uh, patch? Apparently the Earth Goddess 1 is a nerf. It used to be 2 faith per turn. Oh. Hmm, that's I, odd. I never that. I never particularly thought that was a particularly strong pantheon, so I'm surprised that would get nerfed. It's very popular, apparently. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, I guess situationally it's very good. Like, if you start off next to two... I think Earth Goddess was the... used to be, uh, what, Faith from... Uh, uh, Breathtaking Tiles. Oh, okay. No, I was confusing it with Fire Goddess then, which was the one that gives you bonuses on volcanic tiles and uh, geothermal fissures. <clears throat> yeah, okay. imagine being Australia, which already gets stuff for breathtaking, and then adding Earth Goddess on top of that. That's probably another reason to nerf it. That would be a bit much. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, maybe they could have instead put like a cap on how high the appeal would go, so that for sieves that start in very unappealing locations, it might be uh, like a little bit more powerful, so then it's less powerful for the civs that already have overpowered appeal. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't use it too often, but yeah, I guess if, if you say it was really popular, then I guess it was.
time really flies when you're playing Civ. Uh, believe it or not, it, it, we are almost to the end of the New Frontiers uh, pass uh, DLC plan. Uh, I think there's going to be, I think, one, one more Civilization pack in uh, next month, in April, right? And then it's done, right? This month. Oh, one more yeah, at the end of this month. month. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. Uh, and then is there going to be anything more in April? Another feature? or I assume probably like a, a balance patch at some point to fix any issues that come up in the March uh, patch. But yeah, I don't know if they're going to have any new features. So uh, yeah, this month is going to be the end, which means uh, it's time to start talking about what happens to Civ Six in the future. So we have a thread on the Civ Fanatics forums by Graydak. Uh, titled, uh, What After the New Frontiers Pass? The End or More? Which is asking what uh, fellow Civ Fanatics uh, forum users think is going to happen. Will Firaxis make uh, another DLC pass? Will they go back to doing standalone DLCs? Uh, is there maybe a third full expansion in the works? Uh, who knows? Or will it be the end of Civ Six and the beginning of our anticipation towards Civ Seven? I would not be surprised if Civ Seven is announced later this year. I would also not be surprised if there was another expansion pack or Frontier Pass type thing. I think. But, if, yeah, go ahead. But I do not know uh, which one they will choose. I would imagine it's get, it would be get, start getting harder to do multiple game more even more game modes based on how many they've already added. So, right? Yeah, I kind of feel like maybe another smaller expansiony thing that has some more sieves to it, but not massive changes to the gameplay because they probably want to see the popularity with these newer modes and how they balance out as something that they want to have from the start for in in Civ Seven. And we are about at the time when, if they're going to do seven, this is about the time they would probably announce or, you know, because it's been six years now. Five years? Five years, six years, yeah. It was 2016. Okay, yeah, so five years. And that's roughly about how much time we usually get. So. I think if I were to give odds, I think I would give the longest odds to a sequel to Beyond Earth. Uh, I really do not (laughs) think that's happening. Um, no, it's a shame because it was a good game. It's just it was it was almost there at the end. It, it's like with regular stuff, it needed one more expansion probably to finish off some things, and and it probably give it a little bit of character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I again, I've, I've said several times. I thought the second expansion, or sorry, no, it was only one expansion, right? Yeah, the one yeah, expansion one. For, yeah. for Beyond Earth was actually a good expansion. It uh, was really good. I loved it. Yeah, I don't know if I would go as far as saying really good, but it, it was good. It was on par with, you know, probably at least the Gods and Kings expansion of uh, Civ Five. Yeah, because it brought in all the water stuff that we that we had, like, because everybody wants to compare it to Alpha Centauri, so it brought in that part where we could actually go out and explore into the oceans and things like that, which we were all kind of waiting for from the beginning. Well, and a lot of really interesting diplomatic uh, ideas and concepts, some of which were kind of transferred or used to inspire the ideas in Civ Six, but I, I feel like uh, what they did in Civ Six didn't quite work as well as uh, some of the interesting diplomatic ideas that were in uh, uh, Beyond Earth's expansion. Uh, for instance, uh, I really liked that they had um, two different like AI attitudes towards a single player. They had their fear, and they had your respect. So you could either just like threaten or scare an AI leader into, you know, giving into demands and trade deals and so forth. Or you could actually be friendly and diplomatic and earn their respect and get deals done that way. So there were those two avenues. You can either strongman them or you could actually, you know, be diplomatic. And that's something that just is kind of gone from the mainline Civ games because, uh, you know, as, as far as I can ever tell, like, if the AIs don't like you, they do not give in to demands at all. Like, it's... I don't even bother trying to issue demands to the AIs because they never give in. Yeah, you get to this ridiculous point where you can entirely eliminate their army. You're sitting there outside their cities camped out, and they will not go for peace or anything else. It's like, what is that? 
Yeah, like, I mean, maybe they'll give you, like, one gold, you know, yeah. or something like that. But, I mean, at that point in the game, who the hell cares, right? It's like, no, I want, like, a luxury resource or a strategic resource or give me that great work or else my army will take it. And they still won't give it to you. Even at a point where you have, like, maybe two or three times their army strength, because when you use the ribbons up at the top and you can see that, but they still won't give in to a peace demand. It's like, I've taken four of your cities, I have twice as large of an army by this number, and you still won't say, okay, you can have those cities. And if I remember correctly, I think Beyond Earth's, like, fear uh, rating was not only based on the relative strength of your military, but also how you used it. Uh, in the past, and that's something that could tie in very well to the grievances system, where maybe mm. if you did build a large defensive military, but you're not like using it for offensive wars, they're not going to be afraid of you. But you know, if you or even if you have a small military, right, that's like relatively equivalent to theirs, but you have been using it very effectively throughout the entire game. You've been conquering other players, then they're afraid, even if there is you know some degree of military parity there. Because it's like, they know you're coming, sooner or later. <laughs> sooner or later. It's like, it's like the Alpha Centauri version, seeing the Spartans pop up on your borders. Aw, oh, crap, you know? So yeah, so while I don't expect to see a sequel or follow-up to uh, Beyond Earth, uh, I do hope that you know, whatever next civilization game they make, they they do actually look back at that game, even though it was not particularly well received, and uh, maybe take a second crack at some of its ideas and uh, features. Yeah, you put that as the lowest odds. What was the other things? Your odds? Oh, I was going to say that I think a full expansion at this point is is pretty low odds. Uh, I I would say the best odds would be for either a second pass, a DLC pass, uh, or um some more small standalone uh, packs. Yeah, mini expansions, basically. Yeah, uh, and quite frankly, like, uh, I don't think I would have, I would have been okay if, for example, the corporations and uh, the barbarians um, game modes had been rolled into, like, a singular expansion, maybe with a few other, you know, real-world historic ideas. Um, I, I think those could have worked well uh, as a new expansion. And heck, maybe even if just all the fantasy stuff had been like rolled together in like one expansion, you know, it would have been more along the lines of like an optional expansion. So I don't know, maybe they were worried that the, the sales figures just wouldn't justify the cost of investing in it. Um, but yeah, that stuff could have all easily, I think, been packaged together into a expansion pack. Somebody was joking that Phyrexis takes over Amplitude and it becomes Endless Civilization Rebirth. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I have said before as well that I do hope that we're at least a few years off from uh, seeing an actual Civ 7, because uh, I still have a lot of this game that I still have not played. And I haven't looked at, like, mods at all. So, you know, it would be nice to have a couple years for modders to, to do their work uh, before, you know, we all jump onto the Civ 7 bandwagon. But that's just my opinion. Uh, the consensus in the thread seems to be that if we see Portugal this month, there probably won't be much more because Portugal is the only major staple that hasn't been added to Civ 6 yet question mark I really think we need more Native American and African civilizations because there just aren't that many Africa but, did get pretty good representation in, in Civ 6 though there's uh, you know we did get Nubia and uh, Zulu Congo there's like four or five of them out of 50 right but it's a lot better than previous Civ games where we got like maybe one or two token African Civs I don't know I'm not, I, I'm not disagreeing with you yeah, that know. there should be more African civs. I'm just saying that there definitely was better representation of that continent this time around. Hmm. But it, it could still get better, you know, if, especially if we have one from... Do we have any one of them from the, the start of the game, or those all come in later? Uh, you mean in vanilla game or versus uh-huh. expansions? Uh, yeah. Congo was a vanilla civ. Okay. And of course, you know, yeah. Egypt, if you want to you know, count Egypt as a African civ as opposed to a European or a Middle East civ. 
technically then, African, but it's culturally not. So yeah, right. I don't know. It, so it's kind of in a in a gray area there. And then I think Nubia was in the first round of a uh, uh, standalone DLC packs that they released. So it was before the okay. Rise and Fall pack. Yeah, if we if we had if, if we had blah blah blah, <laughs> if we had a couple of them from the start, that would be better. You know, of like for vanilla Civ Seven. That would be nice. If also to have a couple of the Native American, or well, we say Native American, but we were also including South American things like that. There, have a couple of those in, and you're getting better representation, especially in in, in Southeast Asia, because that's another one where it's been on, most of when we get Asian, it's usually been Japan and China and Korea, and it's only been more recently that they've been able to put things like have Thailand in and have a uh, Javar Javar Indonesia. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, Indonesia was the first this time. That was a nice one to have. That's Katarja, though. Yeah. Yeah. Jav- Khmer. That's what I was trying to think Khmer, of. yeah. Yeah. I don't think you know. we have Siam in Civ Six. No, not yet, hmm. anyway. Not yet, not unless that comes up in a past whatever we get in this next pack. See, uh, Siam was in Civ Five. Correct. Yeah, this is just, just something for the future. More of the North American and South American native civilizations, a little more from Africa, a little more from Southeast Asia. And seeing different faces of India has been nice, too, because it wasn't, you know, Gandhi wasn't the only ruler India ever had. Gandhi was never a ruler of India. Yeah, exactly. Well, a, a famous leader type, let's put it that way. Statesman, whatever you want to call it. I mean, activist. Cultural icon? Yeah. Cultural icon is probably the closest. Yeah. I, I've heard it said that Gandhi being the leader of India is like Martin Luther King Jr. being the leader of America. Like, you know, it's not quite... That the, would be amazing if they did that. <laughs> I don't think people would object. I mean, some people would object. Say, oh, that's not real American. Well, yeah, but then we put Gandhi in front of India, so why can't we put Martin Luther King for America? Well, I, I think, think if uh, they were going to pick somebody who wasn't a president, that would be the one to pick. Well, I think in uh, Civ Two or Civ Three, it was Eleanor Roosevelt. That was because they the in Civ it was Civ Two, and the reason for that was because Civ Two had a male and a female leader for each Civ. Oh, did it? Okay. And, and sometimes uh, they were racing. <laughs> in America, there haven't been any female presidents yet, and Eleanor Roosevelt is kind of the the most famous um, first lady in that she was the one who was. Most, I don't know. It it. There are some people who say that she was in charge of Roosevelt at the time, like she was making the decisions for him. But that's yeah, kind like of a, a like a Theodora Justinian kind of situation. Yeah, that kind of thing. Which is I don't know. Is. I don't know if that's realistic or not because I haven't done much research to it. But yeah, that is a either. rumor that has existed over history. So who knows? But she was also like a ambassador, and uh, wasn't she like the first representative of the U.S. in like the U.N. when it was created, or the League of Nations? Maybe I don't know. Something I I like do that. know that she was very influential. So yeah, if you're gonna pick a first lady, she would be the one to pick because she's probably the most prominent first lady in American history but... and the most actively involved in like politics. Yeah, she kind of redefined the role of first lady. Well, let, let me put it this way. The most the most effective first lady who isn't still alive. Because uh, <laughs> Hillary Clinton is pretty uh pretty effective as a former first lady as well, but former first lady and former secretary of state and Yeah. But she's also still alive, so Yeah, they, yeah, they do try to avoid when it's younger nations like the US, they try to avoid current rulers or people that are still alive. Like they're not going to give us Queen Elizabeth for Eng- the second for England anytime soon, <laughs> or Angela Merkel, or or anyone like that. Yeah, yeah. I see some speculation in this thread that uh, people are saying they suspect that uh, s- some of the dev teams are already working on a on Civ Seven while the you know new pass or new frontiers pass is being developed by another uh, team within the studio, and uh, that uh, would not surprise me if that is the case. All right. Let's move on to the next topic so we don't run out of time entirely. So this person's name is a string of characters with only one vowel. 
R-W-M-J-L-A-L-L-Y. And he says, I believe it's a sign of bad UI design when I have to keep pen and paper notes to manage a basic aspect of the game. In the case of Civ 6, this means keeping notes on which trade deals expire when. Surely this would be a simple thing to fix. And I think this goes to a long-standing underlying problem with Civ 6, that the UI is highly obtuse and does not tell us all the information that you think we would need to know to play the game properly. Well, I, I would say even all the games since Civ 4. Civ 4 was probably the last iteration of Civ that had a genuinely good AI or a UI. I think Civ 4 also had a lot of problems, but um, we would need Phil to talk about that. Yeah, because there's a lot of information in the game. <clears throat> there's some of that stuff you need to see without having to... I mean, there's stuff buried in the game, but there's stuff in the game. Information's in the game, but it's buried three screens deep or something like that when you need it to be up front where you can see it. I think it was even a mod originally that had those ribbons on the side type of a thing that gave you, yeah. you know... Yeah, and then they put it in the game because they realized so many people wanted that information, you know, right there. And it's actually very invaluable because you can... you can <clears throat> Even in multiplayer games and also in normal games, you can see the relative like, strength of an army building up and you're like, uh-oh, I gotta go get that guy. But you wouldn't necessarily know that if you didn't have that in front of you where you could readily access it. Yeah, I think and I remember like- uh, the YouTuber, Potato McWhiskey, uh, got accused of cheating in some of his Let's Plays because he had that ribbon active. And he had to tell the commenters on YouTube that, no, this is like in the game. This was a first-party Firaxis edition. You just have to go into options and enable it. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, guys, yeah, you have to enable it. And it did originally come from a mod, which is probably, those people were still thinking it was the mod. but. Even so, it shouldn't be considered cheating to have that information at your fingertips in a game. You know, that's uh, if I play StarCraft, I have everything I need to know on that screen, right? I, I and Civ has got that buried so far. Like trying to see what you're like. Even if I like want to see, like what's like, I'm trying to figure out where I want to build something. I need the city that has the highest production, but I have to go into a screen and I have to scroll way up and down to see the totals of all the cities. It's like, why couldn't those on that report that shows all your yields, why couldn't everything be collapsed until you want to expand it? For example, I don't even think you can order that list of cities by different yield types. Can you? I'm not sure you can. I see. That's another thing. It's seems like it's a simple thing to be able to pull up the city report Go show me the highest yields of production. Boom, boom, boom. Instead of me having to spend like three or five minutes scrolling through, who has the highest? Who's the highest? Okay, you have that. You and try to remember a number while I scroll down through the rest of the cities. Yeah. And another like easy one that like should be obvious to put in the game is a diplomatic relations web, like what was in Civ Four, mm. where you had each yeah. leader in a circle and then colored lines going to each one, telling you what their relationship uh, or, you know, diplomatic status is between them so that you don't have to click on every single leader in the Diplo UI uh, in order to see who they're friends with and who they're allied with and who they're at war with. Yeah. On the main screen you go into, there's a thing to the side that has the portraits. It has little status icons by them, but that's, it's still, that just gives you that one person. It's everybody else. You would still have to go through every individual Diplo screen to see how they related, and how are you going to remember that if you've been after you've been through about three or four Diplo screens? Yeah, or if you play on larger games like friggin' ten or twenty yeah. of them, <laughs> you're going to go through twenty Diplo screens to figure out who's warring who. I now, mean, to, to be fair, if you have like fifteen or twenty uh, leaders in the game, that web would also get very cluttered and be difficult to read. But I think even Civ Four had filters, like where you could filter. Like by war or alliance you, or, or trading. You or click on the sieve and it takes out all the others. Oh, okay, yeah. So I guess you would still be clicking on each sieve, but you at least wouldn't be going to different screens. It would all be on the same screen. You would just be toggling which ones are on and which ones are off. Right. Uh, it yeah. would also be nice to just have a, a chart of who has what available to trade. You know, like I don't think that's anywhere in the game. Nope, that's once again, you have to go through all the screens and see what they and try to start a deal and see what they've got. And that's not even just a simple matter of clicking on the leader. 
that you have to actually go like two screens in. You got to click on the leader, then click on make deal, then scroll through their list. And then if you want to find out whether or not they're even willing to trade it, you got to start clicking on the stuff and maybe even put something on your side of the deal to see if they're even willing to do it. Yeah. Whereas if I play something like any of the endless games, I can go into one screen that's a trade screen that shows me like what resources are available on the market. I mean, it treats strategic resources a bit differently, but you can see that, but it's also a lot easier to see who has what and who might want what. Right. And presumably also to then from that screen, just click on the person you want to trade with and go straight to it or even click on the item. Right. And then just immediately be taken to the trade screen where that item is already in the deal or maybe even that something on your end that's appropriate to trade has already been added that they want. Right. So you don't even have to do that step. It's just a matter of, okay, do I accept this deal or do I want to change things around? Yeah, and some of those screens aren't even active till you research a certain technology. Like you have to get the idea of like a stock market, say, before you can start looking at all the resources that are out there. But that's reasonable because the time you're really, really starting to need some of those things is about the time you would probably need a more bulk way of buying. Yeah, and It'd I mean, be I, really nice. It would be really. Go ahead. Oh no, no, you go ahead. Nope, you go ahead because you were responding to something. Oh, I I was just going to say, is this in the Endless Space game or one of the uh, other Endless games? It's both in Endless Space and Endless Legend. Because I feel like if you have a spacefaring civilization, you've probably already discovered stock markets. uh, Yeah, but there's certain certain aspects of it that are locked out. Like you have to figure intergalactic trade or something like that. Yeah, faster than light communication and Uh trade in order. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that does make sense as something you would have to research. But, yeah, uh, and in Legend, in Legend, it's stock market or something like that. Yeah, I, I haven't. I played the first Endless Space just very, very, very briefly. It was good. I keep meaning to go back to it and play the sequel, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Don't play with the last DLC. It's really bad. Oh, really? Okay. I'll keep the final mind. DLC of of uh, Endless Space Two makes a major game change that basically ruins the game. Oh, that sucks. I will uh, keep an eye out for that then, and make sure that I don't. Ha- I don't. I don't think I ever. I bought the base game, so I don't think I have any of the DLC unless they were free auto patch DLCs. You can just toggle it off. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll do that then. Some things that I would like to see in the Civ Six UI. How about something that tells me, "Hey, you promised this AI that you're not going to spy on them." And uh, that I'm not going to convert them or move troops near them or stop settling near them or, you know, it's a big enough game. Any one of the other things doesn't the game doesn't tell you what you've done to the what you've said, told these people until you break it until you break it. And also, you know, a notification that that is expiring and also that you are at risk of failing it. Right. So if they did say, take your troops away from my borders Right, I don't want to like two turns before that expires. Accidentally try wandering a scout or whatever past, and then tripping over that flag because the AIs are threatened by my one little reconnaissance unit, which uh, I think is also silly. Like recon units should probably be immune to that unless they're literally just camped, right? And like you know, uh, if, if they're moving past, it the AI shouldn't care as far as I'm concerned, but. Yeah, it would be nice to know that if I move this, you know, scout or skirmisher or ranger or whatever past their borders, I'm going to fail that particular promise. Because that's something that keeps happening to me almost every game, at least once or twice, is just some unit happens to wander past and I fail that promise. Yeah. And then how about something that tells me on the screen how many turns I have left if I'm playing Australia and somebody declares on me and I get those special bonuses. Ah. Yeah, I would like yeah, to see nice. a UI overlay for how far the range of uh, regional building effects goes. Like, I think they have that for power, but they don't have it for uh, amenity. That would be nice. And that would also be something that would be nice to see when you're placing the districts, not just after the building has been built. So I could be like, you know, when I'm, I, okay, I could be like, oh, do I want to put this 
industrial zone like here next to all my other districts so I get some more adjacency or should I move it one tile over and then it's uh, range uh, factory range will now cover two more cities you know and just be able to see that without having to count tile by tile by tile you know each time that might be hard to do though because you place the the district before the building is available usually true but it shouldn't be difficult to just draw a, a six tile overlay right that lets you just see where the, that range would be yeah no, whether the building's there or not, the, the range is coming from the industrial zone district, wherever that gets placed. Like, it doesn't shouldn't matter whether the building's there or not. And for uh, industrial zones in particular, there's the two different things. There's the production regional effect, and then the power regional effect. And, you know, you might also have uh, great people or whatever that extend the range, so it would be nice if that were, you know, in the UI as well, because that's another thing that's very easy to forget, because uh, there's no list of permanent great people modifications anywhere either. You can go back to the list of great people who have been earned over the course of the game, but good luck finding the one you're looking for. And even if you do, I don't think that list tells you what they do. Maybe the Civilopedia does? Yeah, the Civilopedia would, but once again, buried a couple screens down, you have to go looking for it when it would be nice to have it right at your fingertips or eyeballs, you know. I mean, obviously, they can't make a user interface that's going to put everything you need on the main screen because it would be ridiculously crowded. But having stuff only one click away as opposed to two or three clicks away is a great improvement. Yeah, and just also screens that, like, group other things together and, you know, mm-hmm. combine them in one place so you don't have to go through multiple screens. Uh, and even some of the things that we do have, like that uh, the, the cities overview like, that was something that was added post-release, I think, in one of the expansions. So that wasn't even there when Vanilla came out. So hopefully, if Civ 7 is in development or the pre-planning stages, uh, hopefully they are more carefully considering uh, UI stuff. Uh, yeah. Especially if they're planning simultaneously re- uh, release on consoles. Uh, then, you know, they're, in addition, going to have to design a UI that works for both PC with a keyboard mouse and for consoles with a controller and or touchscreen. Wait, does the Switch have a touchscreen? I don't think it does. It does. Okay. I wonder if Civ 6 uses the touchscreen on the Switch. I doubt it. It's basically, take a good long, hard look at the user interface mods that are super popular, like they did seeing the ribbon one and including a version of that into the game. See what things that the community thinks you didn't get right and had to make mods for and try. I mean, obviously I can't copy it exactly, but take some inspiration from that of what things you need to change, what things you need to improve to make it easier for the players to have access to all the information they need to win. Well, they could just literally take it and ask the developer, of course, Hmm. but say, hey, we like this. Can we add it to our game? Or I'm pretty hire. sure ninety percent of them are going to be like hell yes. Or they hire that uh, that modder. I mean, that's happened before. Like the, the yeah. designers for what Civ Five and Civ Six were former modders. Well, Civ, to... Civ Four had all that stuff that Blake did that was added to the main game from a mod. So that's why the Civ Four AI was ever capable of winning a culture victory. Yeah, and I think they even uh, had a couple scenarios in Civ Four that were added by the second expansion that were literally just total conversion mods that they, I assume, asked permission to use and put in the game. Well, there were there were three of them that were made by by outside modders who were on contract to have it included in the game. Oh, okay. I was under the impression that they were mods first, and then they were put in the expansion. I might be wrong. Well, uh, there was this, the World War II one, which I think did exist in a, in a prior form, and Rise and Fall of Civilization definitely did, and Fall from Heaven, the one they made for the for the, the expansion pack was not the same one that was available on the forums. It was like a separate, different mod. All of them were really good, though. Although it's a, it was a little bit weird to play the the uh, World War II mod and have a reskinned the Theodore Roosevelt be 
the leader of Germany. <laughs> I mean, you can't have Hitler in the game, so... And yeah. They picked the vice chancellor, I think, his uh, von Poppen. So should we talk about leader pools? Sure. So Alexandria Wolf post over here in Civ Fanatics about being baffled by the leader pools. Could someone please explain to me how the leader pools work? I had the crazy idea that pool one let you select which leaders you would be okay with having appear, and pool two would let you select the leaders you absolutely did not want to appear, but that's not seeming to be the case, and they have no idea how this works, because they were really excited about this, like, I'm excited about this. But yeah, I, I was under even... the impression that you would just be able to create however many pools you wanted, so I was kind of disappointed to log into a game and uh, see that there's only two pools, because I was hoping to do, like, one pool of, like, Rise and Fall sieves, one pool of Gathering Storm sieves, and then one pool of, like, New Frontier sieves, and then, like, another pool of, like, vanilla and DLC sieves. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, there's not enough pools for that. I have yeah. not played with the pools system yet, but that does sound like it's less cool than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, Noble's Archon actually had to make a video to demonstrate this because they were confused as well. It does at least fulfill, like, the fundamental request that I've had for a very long time, which is that for... Uh, since there are two pools, that means you can have one pool for the sieve you want and a second pool for AI sieves. So it does allow me to do both, filter out sieves that I do not want to play as, and then be able to pick from a random uh, list of the remaining sieves, and also filter out sieves that I do not want to play against, or to specifically put in sieves that I do want uh, in the game. And... Uh, filter out the ones that I've, you know, played against a bunch of times or that I just really don't like playing against. So does it look like does look like people are just using it sort of as pool one is for me. These are the sieves I'd like to play today. And pool two is these are the AI I am happy about seeing in the game. Yeah, that's how I'm gonna use it. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how other people are using it too. And like I said, it, it checks off both of the boxes that, you know, I said I wanted in a feature like this. So the fact that it doesn't go beyond that, you know, like, eh, it'd be nice if I could make more pools, but uh, it, it does it does the important things. Better than nothing. It was also, <laughs> uh, uh, took me a little while to find, because it's like, it's not over where, like, the sieve picker is. It's like, you have to go into advanced game settings, and then it's in, like, the list with, like, game settings, like map type and... Uh, resource distribution and stuff like that. There's like a little button. For, yeah, uh, all, the, all of the pool pickers are in there, though. Yeah, I, I just I booted up the game and I was looking around on the left hand side of the the advanced uh, setup screen where you pick the sieves and like opening the drop downs for different sieves and being like, how do I change the pool? Uh, it, I mean, it took me like you know a minute to find it, so it's not like I was wandering around for hours thinking through menus and forums and stuff like that. But it it was wasn't quite where I expected it to be. And apparently on the Switch, it's buried on the map selection screen of all places. Which maybe that's how, the, maybe they had to put it there because of how they program the code, but everybody's like, okay. I haven't <laughs> played the Switch version in a while. It's very, very slow on the Switch is the problem. But. Well, that could just be programming issues sometimes. Well. You know? It's that the Switch is not nearly powerful enough to easily run such a big program. The Switch is a pretty impressive piece of technology, but a PC, a gaming PC, it is not. Yeah. Well, you think if we could run something like Breath of the Wild, that Civ wouldn't be so bad? Well, Breath of the Wild Breath doesn't have so wild. many AI agents running independently, so. And there's also, like, Civ Six has a lot of little graphical details that are probably taxing for the machine. Like, just think about, like, every single lighthouse, right, in your coastal cities actually has a little spinning light that casts light on the objects as it spins around, right? Like, there's little things like that that are, like, kind of, you know, pretty to look at, but are, like, totally <laughs> unnecessary and a little excessive. Uh, and if those things are in the console versions of the game, I imagine that is pretty taxing for those consoles' hardware. Um, I know for the Switch especially, 
it would be because the switch is not designed for the level of computational complexity that the Xbox stuff and the PlayStation are. Not that the Switch is bad. I think the Switch is better than the other two person. Well, and I mean, as a portable, it's, you know, pretty darn powerful. You know, I have a gaming and it, laptop, and it is considerably larger than a Switch. And gets yeah. considerably hotter. And has a considerably crappier battery. <laughs> I mean, I like the Switch because it has all the Pokemon games on it, and that's all I need it to do, so... Yeah, and if you can play sit on the bus, go for it. I don't go on the bus. I, well, if I ever go general. on any, well, it's it's I go on Amtrak every once in a while, but which is quite an experience, let me tell you. Yeah, I live on the uh, west coast. I sometimes forget the trains exist. Well, passenger trains in... anyway. If you live on the west coast, you have more access to passenger trains than I do. Really. Alright, I guess then it's just there, a Vegas thing. I live an hour away from the railroad, and it goes to two places. Chicago and D.C. I guess it also goes to New York, and all places in between. But basically, if I want to go anywhere in the country that isn't D.C. or New York, I have to go to Chicago first. And uh, you get to Chicago at noon, which sometimes means you miss the train in the morning if it's going to certain places and you have one train a day so it's like okay I'm going to take the train to San Francisco from Chicago well fine enjoy three days on the railroad yeah it's definitely not a European rail system that's for sure (laughs) and people thought swapping planes in O'Hare was bad to be fair America could not sustain a European train system because it's too large People uh, people who want fast train service don't realize that it's really hard to build a high-speed train service from New York to 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 um, L.A. because it's 3,000 miles. That's like the distance from London to Baghdad almost. Yeah, it's, it is a greater distance. But, oh well, we can still hope. They're working on it. They're building it in slow phases. We're going to get one from Dallas to Houston. Yeah, Hyperloop. They've been talking about that. They may also triangle it at some point and include Austin and San Antonio as well. That would be nice, and I could just train down for the race. I think what it what it comes down to is, in the U.S., we have missed high-speed trains. We'll probably adapt whatever comes next, which might be Hyperloop. It's probably going to be easier to build a Hyperloop than it would be to do all the eminent domain required to get tracks laid in the U.S. Is the Hyperloop underground? I think so. Because that would also be really damn expensive, building underground for 3,000 miles. It's a lot less expensive to go underground than it is to try and buy all the land from the individual landholders. I thought you would still have to. I thought uh, you'd have to buy out rights to go under someone's property, but I could be wrong. I, I guess maybe it's, it's only like different. only mineral resources are owned by the person who owns the land. It depends on what state you're in. Oh, okay. Anyway, all of us at Polycast say trains are good. I think trains good. More train. We have a steam locomotive <clears throat> in my town. I like it. I'm doing the outro. I forgot. <laughs> I thought for a minute it was me and I went to go look and I was like, wait, that's Candace. I forgot. This has been episode 379 of the Polycast. I'm your host, Candace Albinist, and I have been joined with our good friends, Makalua. I think, I think Candace would also like to start a train cast. <laughs> I don't know about that. There's not enough to talk about in the US. 
and Mega Bears fan. I am working on getting my audio fixed. I hope it was better this week compared to two weeks ago, and I'm going to work on it some more this weekend. Excellent. But I think at least this time everyone could hear me, right? Yeah. Yep, pretty well. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 Sound Clips, Copyright, Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.